I want to invite you to stand together as we consider the reading of God's Word this morning. Uh, the text is printed for you. We'll be reading from John's Gospel, chapter 12, verses 12 and 13, and then verse 19. Would you join with me? The next day, the great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. So the Pharisees said to one another, See, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. The word of God for the people of God. Thank you. You may be seated. Now I need to remind you, because we took last week off, we had... uh, we had the pleasure of experiencing the confirmation class last Sunday, but to remind you that we're currently in a series of messages under the heading, What Difference Does Faith Make? Does it make any, faith, any difference at all? We're asking ourselves, is faith, this relationship that we have with God, our love for God, our belief in God, is it merely some religious sentiment that provides us some degree of comfort and solace when we come to worship on Sunday morning, or... Is it something more than that? Is it something that makes a genuine, real, practical, relevant difference in our day-to-day lives? Unfortunately, for some believers, faith is pretty much an innocuous thing. They, they have faith, but in terms of their faith making any significant difference in how they live and who they are and what they do, uh, it's just not that. You shouldn't be surprised to to understand that during these last few weeks, our response to the question, does faith make a difference, is a resounding yes. And we've been saying faith makes a huge difference. It's intended to make a very significant, real, practical difference in our lives. In fact, it is the foundation upon which every other aspect of our lives is built. And we have been looking at the difference that faith makes in the various arenas of our life. We've talked about the difference faith makes in how we understand and live out marriage, in parenting, in times of crisis, uh, in our jobs, in our careers. This morning, we come to, we're going to venture into an arena that, quite frankly, some people say that faith should not go. And that is politics. What difference, if any, does our Christian faith make in our participation in the political process? Now, this conversation is going to be a little uh, little in-depth, so just before we get into this, a little political humor to create a little levity. If con is the opposite of pro, Does that mean that Congress is the opposite of progress? (laughs) You'll have to answer that one. Maybe you heard about the thief who decided he was going to rob a a pedestrian walking down the street, so he pulls out his gun, sticks it in the guy's side, and said, Give me your money. And the gentleman said, "Uh, Sir, you don't understand. You can't do this to me. I am a United States congressman. 
The thief thought for a minute and said, well, in that case, give me my money. <laughs> now, I have to be honest with you. When I scheduled out these, seri- these messages, I did not intentionally plan for the message on faith and politics to fall on Palm Sunday. And, and I literally woke up at 3 a.m. about a week ago, and, and I thought to myself, I've got to rearrange the schedule. It just, it just wouldn't be right to preach that message on Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday, people are going to come, and they're going to be expecting to hear the passage and focus on the story of Jesus riding into Jerusalem on the back of the donkey and everybody waving palms in the air. And uh, I just don't know if I should preach this topic on Palm Sunday. And I really wrestled with it for a few days, but then it occurred to me that, first of all, I'm not going to be preaching on politics. I'm going to be preaching on faith and its role in politics. But more importantly, it occurred to me that Palm Sunday has everything to do with politics. It took place in the context of politics. It was viewed by most of the people there as a political event. And so I got to thinking about it. Maybe it's no mistake that this message was scheduled for this Sunday. Maybe it's meant to be. Now, maybe you're thinking, Stuart, what in the world does Palm Sunday have to do with politics? Well, think about it. For months now, Jesus is traveling all all throughout Galilee. Everywhere he goes, great crowds of people begin to form. Every time he stops in a town, it's a bigger crowd than the one before. Every city he goes to, every speech he gives, more and more people are beginning to think, maybe this is the one. Maybe this is the Messiah who has come to restore Israel to greatness. Maybe this is the Messiah. Now, now keep in mind, for them, for the majority of the folks, when they thought of the Messiah, they weren't thinking about some spiritual preacher type. To them, Messiah meant ruler. It meant military conqueror. It meant king. And so, Everywhere Jesus goes, crowds begin to gather. They're beginning to think, maybe this is the king. Kind of sounds like primaries to me, going from town to town. Now, now comes the convention, if you will, in Jerusalem. People line the streets. They're waving their palms. The equivalent of today's campaign banners. And there's an excitement in the air. Why are they so excited? It's clear. In their understanding, this was the inaugural parade of the king. They even said so. Hosanna, blessed is the king of Israel. You see, in their minds that day, this was not some religious event. This was a political rally. 
Jesus was coming to take control. He was going to overthrow Rome. He was going to liberate the people. The establishment was going to be overturned, and the people could taste it. They want, everybody wanted to be in on this experience. A new leader was about to take the throne, and they were determined to be a part of this movement. This was about power. This was about influence. This was about the realigning of government. Politics, pure and simple. You know the definition of politics? You may have your own definition, but here's what Webster says. The activities, actions, and policies that are used to gain and hold power in a government or to influence a government. That's exactly what was coming down on Palm Sunday. And that's why A few days later, when Jesus didn't fit the mold of what they were thinking, when Jesus didn't take the route that they thought he was going to take, when it was clear that Jesus had something far different than they did in mind, they turned on him. You see, they fail to understand that Jesus came not to hold power. He came to to give power to others. They fail to understand that he did not come to change the government. He came to change lives. He did not come to overthrow those in power. He came to let those in power know the limitations of that power. He came not to win delegates. He came to make disciples. He came not to establish some new kingdom, but to draw their attention to the kingdom that was already in their midst, the kingdom of God. And when Jesus started talking about loving your enemies, instead of what they thought he was going to do, arming them to attack their enemies, They start leaving in droves. And by the end of the week, when the vote is taken, there's always votes in politics. When the vote was taken to release Barabbas or Jesus, the people voted for Barabbas. Jesus' delegates turned on him, and Jesus is led away to be crucified. The crowds turn and run. The palm branches fade away. Cheers of the crowd turned to, to jeers of condemnation. As a political campaign, it was a colossal failure. But 
this was not a political campaign. This was a divine quest. You see, Jesus did not come that day to win an election. He came to make an election. And his election is you. He came to select you for salvation. He came to select you and me for entrance into the kingdom of God. He came to elect you to be salt of the earth and light of the world. He elected you to be God's representative on the earth. And his vote was cast on a cross on Golgotha as he gave his life for you. That's why later Peter would write in 2 Peter 1, verse 10. 2 Peter 1, 10. Therefore, brothers and sisters, be eager to confirm your call and election. He came to make an election. And he chooses you. So, how do we confirm, embrace, accept our election? We do that by living a life of faith. A life in which we trust and obedient followers of Jesus Christ. You see, you are elected not just for salvation, you are elected for service. And we confirm our election of, by Christ when we allow our faith to direct our lives. And that leads us to today's topic. One of the ways that we live our election is through participation in the political process. You see, I'm absolutely convinced that Christians need to be involved in that process and, and faith needs to be what guides that Involvement. You see, we are not servants of the Democratic Party. We are not servants of the Republican Party. We are servants of God. And we live out our election through faith 
by doing all within our power to make sure that the message, the cause of Jesus Christ is set forth in the world. You see, our faith is extremely important in that our faith should help us clarify what the issues are. Our faith is important as believers in the process because it helps us establish um, our priorities and our understanding of positions and, and it helps us hopefully select candidates that we believe are the most qualified to lead. Now if politics is indeed what we said it was a moment ago, what Webster says, if politics is the activities, the actions, the policies used to gain and hold power, doesn't it make sense that Christians and the Christian faith and God's vision for the nation need to be a factor in that equation? You know, faith is going to prompt us to do a number of things as it relates to the political world. For some, faith might prompt you to run for public office. And I I hope that it does. We need God-honoring, God-loving men and women serving in, in public service. But for the most part, for most of us, we never run for public office. Most of us, the impact that faith will have is this. Our faith will prompt us to vote and to use that vote to confirm our election as a servant of God. I want you to look at this pulpit for just a moment. This pulpit is different from just an average lectern. This pulpit is set aside and identified for one purpose, the advancement of the Word of God and the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This pulpit is not meant to be a means for me to come and espouse my ideas or my vision for the country or the world. It is reserved to extend and advance the gospel of Jesus Christ and the Word of God. And I have to confess, every time I stand in this pulpit or or any pulpit, I'm overwhelmed with the sense of awe and the sense of responsibility and the sense of privilege that, that comes along with that. And I'm fully aware that this is the means not to advance my agenda, but to advance God. But not everybody has a pulpit. But all of us have a ballot. Both the pulpit and the ballot are means by which we are given to express the faith and advance the cause of Jesus Christ. So, what influence should our faith have 
on our ballot. Now, as your pastor, you know, I'm not necessarily the smartest person in the world, but I'm not the dumbest either. And there is no way that I'm going to be dumb enough to tell anybody in this room how to vote or who you should vote for. That would be ridiculous. That's not my place. But what I would like to do is share with you how faith can instruct and guide and influence us in any election, whether it's a public election or a local election or whether it's an election for the President of the United States or anything in between. I do think it's my responsibility to remind us that that's one of the means available to us to be guided by our faith and advance the cause of Christ. And so here's what I'd like to share. Our faith, I think, uh, needs to prompt us in every election we make. And our faith perhaps can, can prompt us to vote for the candidate that you believe is most likely to uh, pursue, pursue and uh, achieve God's vision for the nation. Our faith should lead us to select candidates uh, that demonstrate godly traits of honesty and integrity and truthfulness. And we need to let our faith guide us to select candidates not just because of policies but principle and not just on the basis of qualifications but on, but on character. Our faith should lead us to guide, our faith should lead us to select candidates who are strong enough to lead and yet who are wise enough to know their weakness and their dependence, therefore, upon God. And most importantly, a leader that will best and most likely move us to God's vision for the world. Now, I realize that faith will lead us in different directions there. The fact that we approach those decisions with our faith does not mean we'll all come to the same conclusions, of course. But at least we'll know that faith has been a part of the process. Years ago, I decided to run for an office. It wasn't a a political office. It was uh, president of the Student Government Association at Reinhardt College. And so I put together a a campaign, a committee, and we made some posters. And the day for the election came, and I was elected the president of the Student Government Association at Reinhardt College. I won that election, I'm not making this up, by one vote. And they counted, and they recounted, and they recounted several times because we all wanted to make sure, especially me, I wanted to make sure that this was accurate. And sure enough, every time, I ended up winning by one vote. Now, I wasn't really excited about that because it was pretty obvious to everybody that the reason I won was because I voted myself in. Okay? 
But that's not the only time I was elected by one vote. It happened once before, a long, long time ago. When Jesus Christ made his way into Jerusalem and ended up on a cross on Calvary and by so doing cast the the one vote and it's the only vote that was required to elect me for salvation to elect me to be God's representative in the world to elect me to reside in the kingdom of God forever You have received the same election. Live it. Confirm it. The Lord Himself has elected you. However you deem most appropriate, be His voice. Represent His platform. Support His vision for the world. Should faith make any difference in our involvement in the political process? Absolutely. The consequences not to are too great. Let's pray together. Oh God, we thank you that years ago, even before we were born, you had our soul in your heart. And on that day, on Good Friday, as Jesus gave up his life on the cross, it was a cast, a vote that he cast to elect each and every person in this room into the kingdom of God. Oh God, we thank you that you have elected us. And God, we just pray that every day, in every aspect of our lives, we will confirm that election. We will see and embrace that identity and we will choose to live lives that reflect that election. in our relationships, in our workplace, in the voting booth. Because we have been elected to be your representatives here on the earth. May we do so in ways that are pleasing to you and which accomplish your vision, your agenda, your plan for this nation, and for the world. And it's in the name and spirit of Christ that we pray. Amen.